This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, August 12, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast is our 200th episode, and to help us celebrate, security researcher Patrick Wardle is our special guest. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing great. This is a special day. We've been teasing this for weeks. We're episode 200. That's right. Yeah, that's... Oh, sorry. That was the wrong one. Let me do that again. We're episode 200. Wait, where's where's my applause? (laughs) We're episode 200. That's an amazing landmark, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I see you're very excited that you've got your sound effects all set up now. I've got the applause and the the laugh track. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's just a... That's just a joke. Anyway, 200 episodes. You and I have worked together now for nearly four years. Of course, four years will be 208 episodes. We've not missed a week. So for episode number 200, we have a guest. And this is a guest that we've mentioned several times on the podcast. Patrick Wardle is an independent security researcher and founder of the Objective-C website and tool suite. Patrick, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And a big congratulations to making it to 200. That's quite an accomplishment. So one of the things that Patrick is well known for is finding vulnerabilities in in macOS. If you go to Apple's page where where they list all the security details about each new macOS release, often Apple will will credit Patrick once those uh, vulnerabilities get patched. I know um, you just spoke at Black Hat and DEF CON about uh, some interesting things that you've been uh, doing recently in terms of Mac malware research and so forth. What are what are some of the most fun experiences that you've had finding vulnerabilities on the Mac? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to start by stating that I'm often not actually looking for vulnerabilities per se, right? There's a whole field of, I think, vulnerability research where you have really talented individuals running advanced fuzzers, reverse engineering the operating systems, and no discredit to them. They're finding some incredible vulnerabilities. Uh, But I find like I'm just over in my corner playing around uh, and I seem to have a propensity for stumbling across what turned out to be often very significant issues. Um, So I have a few, I think, anecdotal, rather interesting stories that cover kind of a a wide range of of bugs. So I want to actually start by talking about a neat bug on iOS. Um, I also do some iOS research, um, and it's it's actually related to macOS as well. The vulnerability affected macOS, which is often the case, right? They they share a large large code base. So many times when you find vulnerability on one platform, the other platform is in, uh, affected as well, and you actually get uh, CVE or credit on both of the security platforms. Uh, the two security notes that they put out. So it's like, yeah, two shout outs. We're stoked, right? So <laughs> the story begins in San Francisco. I'm visiting there for RSA. I have a friend who said, hey, Patrick, my phone's been hacked by the Chinese. And I kind of roll my eyes because, you know, occasionally I get uh, non-technical friends who are convinced that their systems are hacked because, you know, the mouse moved or, or something in 99 <laughs> out of 100 times. It's like some faulty hardware or some misbehaving software. It's not actually the Chinese government. But anyway, she had a very convincing argument. And it was that anytime somebody texted her 
and mentioned Taiwan, or if she typed Taiwan on her phone, her iPhone would crash, regardless of the application. And we actually can confirm this. I, you know, she typed Taiwan on her keyboard and her screen went blank and, you know, the iPhone uh, did a soft reboot. And I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, if I would text her, um, you know, a, a message containing Taiwan and specifically a Taiwanese flag, whatever the application it was, whether it was, you know, Skype, Facebook, uh, iMessage would trigger this same crash. So clearly something was going on. So, I started to dig into the crash logs, pull the crash logs off the phone. I actually did reverse engineering on Mac OS because, as I mentioned, the code uh, was was the same, and it's easier to reverse engineer code on, on Mac OS um, than iOS for a variety of reasons. And it turned out what the vulnerability was was that Apple was actually processing all the incoming messages, uh, the operating system was, and what they were doing was, if the phone was in a certain configuration, um, looked like um, its region had been set to China and some of their prerequisites were true, they were actually trying to remove the Taiwanese flag and instead just put a blank box. And this is because in China, the Chinese government does not like the presence of the Taiwanese flag. They don't like the presence of the name Taiwan. They don't like the presence of anything. If you looked in the Olympics, what did they say? Chinese Taipei is what they called Taiwan in the Olympics? Oh my goodness. So clearly the Chinese government went to Apple proper. And, you know, we like to laud Apple for their stance on privacy and and, and user rights. Uh, But clearly this is a case where they had kind of bent to the will of the Chinese government, appeased the Chinese government and said, yeah, you know what? If these phones are in these configuration, these these settings, you know, we will not display the Taiwanese flag. Unfortunately, there was a bug in their code that could be remotely triggered by the presence of sending someone a, a Taiwanese flag. Uh, long story short, they uh, weren't checking the returns turn result of a function. And in some cases, it could return a zero, which they treated as a pointer. uh, And zero is an invalid memory address. So it would cause a what is known as a null pointer exception, which would cause the system to crash, the operating system to crash. So that was a very interesting vulnerability. Again, reported this to Apple. Uh, they they patched it. Um, you know, it wasn't really a security flaw in the sense that it couldn't be remotely exploited to take over someone's phone. It didn't give you arbitrary code execution. But to me, it was super intriguing for a few reasons. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the way it was kind of discovered, which was my phone, my friend's phone inadvertently triggering it. You know, we kind of stumbled across it. Uh, and secondly, just the, the reason the bug was there, which ultimately was because Cupertino was attempting to appease the Chinese government, uh, which gave us you know, the ability to remotely crash certain iPhones. So that to me was very interesting, very intriguing, and kind of sh- shown some light onto, I would say, one of Apple's darker secrets, um, their collaborations, or at least the appeasement of a you know, less than friendly foreign government. Did Apple fix this quickly, or... Did it take a long time for them to react? Uh, Fairly quickly. Apple generally patches vulnerabilities uh, in service packs, or I mean, that's not quite the right term, but when they push out a new update for the operating system, right? You have like a new dot update. Yeah, exactly. A dot update, Um, you know, unless it's being actively exploited in the wild, which they'll push an out of band patch, but that's that's rather rare. Um, so they kind of waited until the next uh, dot up dot update, um, and you know, so it was 
if I recall, you know, a few months, um, which I think was fair in this case. It was, again, kind of a denial of service vulnerability. It wasn't being actively exploited um, and only affected phones in certain non-standard configurations. Uh, but yes, they did patch it. I got a nice iOS uh, CVE, which was kind of cool, and was able to tell the story. Uh, it was interesting because I thought the bug was kind of neat, but the press, re- press really picked up the fact that, you know, as I mentioned, this there was a, a China angle here, and and Apple was, you know, acquiescing to the Chinese government, which you know, from a media point of view, that was the interesting story, which you know I get understand, and I think users were rightfully uh, rather uh, upset, or at least felt somewhat disenfranchised with uh, the fact of Apple's kind of collaboration with the you know the Chinese government, but you know I think that that that. It was a good story or a good reality for users to be aware of. And and ultimately, this bug, I think, shed a lot of light on that. What's Apple's policy on that? Obviously, you're not supposed to say anything until they've released the update. But afterwards, they can't prevent you from talking about this vulnerability, right? Exactly. And, you know, I think that's something I appreciate. So the standard operating procedure is uh, if you're a you know, uh, mature or let's say responsible security researcher, you report the bug to Apple, you keep your you know, mouth shut until they patch that. And that's largely so you don't put other users at risk or tip off hackers to um, the presence of the vulnerability. However, once the bug is, is patched, you're free to say whatever, which I think is good. And usually I use that as an opportunity to talk to users in the general public uh, about the flaw. Um, you know, if there's an interesting angle, you know, Apple and China, I think that's really important for users to know. I also like to talk about the impact of the bug because if it's a serious flaw, I think that provides users with incentives to patch. A lot of times Apple is kind of vague in the release notes. And, you know, if we can say, hey, this is a bug that's being actively exploited by hackers to take over Macs or iOSs, that wasn't the case with this bug, but other bugs, sure. I think that motivates users to uh, to patch. And then finally, I like to oftentimes provide a technical breakdown discussing how I patch, found the bug, uh, reverse engineer Apple's patch to make sure they comprehensively patch it, um, which I think is helpful to other security researchers or others doing research on Mac OS. And, and the goal is really to kind of uh, provide some education and insight that maybe others can leverage to find other flaws and bugs that then they will report to Apple so that the bar, the security of macOS will, you know, forever or in- increase. Right. And Patrick's blog posts are, are very, very detailed, and there's a lot of really useful information. Um, and a lot of times when there is a new vulnerability that uh, that Patrick will write up, um, sometimes when I write an article for the Mac security blog related to that, I'll, uh, I'll usually link to Patrick's article at the end, you know, if you want the real technical details, like the really deep dive, <laughs> go to Patrick's article because he's he's laid it out in a in, in very fine detail. Yeah, it's, it's clear that you have to communicate differently to different groups of users. My partner is a normie, and if there's a security issue, I'll explain what it is, and she doesn't need to know about it. And then you and I, we're talking to more sophisticated users on the podcast, but then when you're talking among security researchers, you want to get all the details. You want to know everything. Exactly. And I find also that writing about it and really providing the low-level technical details is a way to ensure that I ultimately understand the vulnerability very well as well, which I always find helpful. Uh, and then a lot of times, you know, you, you get invited to interesting 
security conferences to present your research and findings. And so it's also a great way to kind of travel the world on someone else's dime, <laughs> which is always a nice perk. Too. <laughs> have you gotten any bug bounties from Apple yet? I have not. Apple has paid me $0.0. Uh, okay. And so, you know, there's several reasons for that. Most, uh, I would say the biggest reason is that Apple's bug bounty program has launched arguably somewhat recently. Also, it's fairly tightly scoped. Um, um, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for bugs in kind of the areas that it covers. Um, and then oftentimes I'll just send it to product security. I don't go through all the hoops. Um, however, it, it, you know, Apple and I think other security researchers will, um, you know, state this as well or echo this as well. You know, the, the bug finding program is at Apple is rather difficult to work with uh, in the sense that, you know, I mentioned it's very tightly scoped. Uh, a lot of times there's not a lot of good communication from Apple's end um, and the payouts are often laughably small. So, uh, <laughs> you know, often it's better just to kind of submit it and we all go on our merry way. Uh, you know, it'd be nice for Apple, I think, to be more proactive. And if someone has reported a, you know, an impactful security vulnerability, you know, they kind of take the the directive and say, hey, you know, great bug. We appreciate you reporting this. We re appreciate you, uh, you know, not mentioning anything publicly about it until we had a time to patch. We appreciate that you provide us all the technical details. You confirmed our patch, which is things they always request anyways. And, you know, for that work and because of the vulnerability, here's X amount of dollars where it really seems that currently the onus is on the researcher to, uh, you know, essentially beg and say, hey, look, this should be included and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And um, the researchers who have received payouts through the bug bounty program, uh, yeah, they're stoked on the money, but it sounds like in many cases it almost wasn't worth it. So I just avoid it entirely. I still will report bugs to Apple and not complain too much. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear some more stories from Patrick Wardle. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. So, Patrick Wardle, you were talking about different security updates and when they're released, and there was a last important security update that supposedly patches the vulnerability that allowed the Pegasus malware to affect iPhones. And what we all noticed is that we didn't get any notifications for it. In other words, I knew when it was released because I saw on Twitter. So I updated my iPhone 
And I asked my partner, and she hadn't seen anything. So I said, well, you're probably not going to be attacked by Pegasus, so wait. I think it took five days before she got a notification. On my Mac, my iMac, I didn't get a notification either. Why, if these updates are so important, why do you think Apple's not notifying people more quickly? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, something I can speculate to. I don't necessarily have an, an answer per se. Well, my thought is that they have a one-week cycle. They'll check every week for updates. If you sync a device to iTunes or to the Finder, you'll see, you know, next check will be a week later. But you would think that for important security updates, they would have a different process. Yeah, and that's interesting because it does seem like Apple, or devices rather, have various mechanisms instead of one unified way. And the reason we I mention that is because when Apple pushes out a major update, uh, you know, like iOS 14. whatever we're up to, 3, 4, 5, uh, you know, basically everyone gets that. Uh, that alert, I think, within the same day or two, or at least... No, it, it can take up to a week. Okay, well, that's, I would say, something probably to do with, with caching or or maybe checks, because it really does seem that generally the update is available to roughly everyone at the same time. I mean, it is rolled out globally. Yeah, if you check manually, yeah. Yeah, half a day. The other thing is Apple does have other update me mechanisms, for example, on macOS to update their malware removal tool, MRT, or at least uh, XProtect, which is a yeah. built-in antivirus mechanism. And those updates are uh, silently uh, added, uh, essentially, which is sometimes interesting for users to, to, to learn about. Um, and those seem to be rolled out, though, again, fairly globally within a day or two. Um, that is interesting. I, you know, I haven't heard updates taking so long, uh, but clearly it does seem to be the case. So I would guess that um, it's either maybe the device not checking as often as it should. But, you know, I would agree. It seems like when Apple is patching significant security vulnerabilities, especially ones that are being exploited by advanced adversaries, ideally users will get a notification to update their phone roughly the same time because, Another interesting thing in the discussion of vulnerabilities is when Apple releases a patch, other hackers are often reverse engineering those patches to see what was being patched. Uh, oftentimes, they can then weaponize or develop an exploit based solely on those patches. And if users are not patching rapidly or Apple is not pushing out those updates to everyone at the same time, there is a window. Granted, it's a small window, but there is a window where now adversaries who didn't have access to that vulnerability before do and will be able to, in many cases, target users who have not patched. That's one one great example why users should you know, patch as soon as an update, a security update is available. Um, and also, I think it's problematic if, yes, as you mentioned, this is the case that the notification for the security update is sometimes being, uh, you know, pushed out several days. There's there's this window where, yeah, users now are essentially vulnerable, and other hacking groups who may have reverse engineered the patch uh, ha have now access to this ex exploit during that time as well. I'm just looking on my iMac, and the last update to XProtect and MRT was on June 29, so that's what five six weeks ago. Now they may not have any reason to update it, but that does seem like a long time. Well, we know that we're discovering malware a lot more frequently than that. And so, you know, <laughs> I mean, it is interesting to see the things that uh, Apple does include in their signatures and all of the things that Apple doesn't include in their signatures. 
just one more thought on, on that uh, whole update rollout process. Um, one of the other things that we were speculating about is that maybe, um, you know, there's a little bit of a delay just because when you're talking about millions of devices around the world all updating at the same time, uh, it could put a strain on Apple servers. But at the same time, you know, if there are more urgent updates, if there's something that, every, you know, that Apple knows or has it's been reported to Apple that it's being exploited actively in the wild and they need to get those updates out quickly, you would think that they might be able to prioritize that a little bit, at least like, you know, push those out to the devices uh, or or give the users an alert that the update's available a little bit more quickly for some of the more urgent ones like that. So it'll be interesting to see um, whether Apple changes the way that it handles those urgent updates or whether it continues to sort of be status quo for a while. So Patrick, give us an interesting story about Mac vulnerabilities. Sure. So an, another interesting story about vulnerabilities, which again kind of aligns with the fact that, um, you know, a lot of times you don't actually have to be looking for security vulnerabilities to find vulnerabilities on, on Mac OS, which you know, is a little disconcerting. Uh, revolves around this next vulnerability. So my main activity on macOS is writing free open source security tools. Uh, my Objective-C website has a bunch of these tools. A lot of them are designed to, uh, you know, provide insight into a user system and have malware capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm writing a tool and my goal is to track when a new process is launched so that I can examine that process to see, you know, for example, if it's malicious, if it was spawned via an exploitation attempt, et cetera, et cetera. So in previous versions of Mac OS, you tracked process launches via something called OpenBSM or the audit subsystem. It would basically provide you a notification or a programmatic alert saying, hey, a new process was spawned. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, this is Pretty common majority of security tools are interested in new processes because a lot of time this is, you know, when they want to check to see if, hey, is this a new malicious sample that, you know, the user was inadvertently tricked or coerced in, into using. So I'm writing this code. I'm tracking process launches. I set up some tests. I go to the beach to surf. I come home and my computer has restarted and there's a message saying that a kernel panic was triggered. And I was like, OK, that's kind of Strange, and I kicked off my test and went and took a nap. And I came back, and the same message was there. And I said, wow, this seems that my tool is triggering a kernel panic. And this is not something that should be happening because my kernel runs in user space. So for listeners, there's kind of two, let's say, rooms on a system. One is where the brain executes. It's called kernel mode. And if bad things happen here, the entire system crashes. Uh, applications, though, normally run kind of in the main area, the living room, let's say, and they don't have direct access to the room where the brain is. They don't have access to the kernel by design. It's kind of this security instability barrier. Um, so in theory, if an application such as my security tool is running in, you know, in the living room, yeah, it might crash because I wrote crappy code, but it really shouldn't have the ability to crash panic the system. So I started digging deeper, and I ultimately found a flaw in the audit subsystem. Granted, my application, who had been talking to the audit subsystem, or rather subscribing to events from the audit subsystem, was inadvertent, inadvertently triggering this. But it was ultimately a flaw, a code in Apple's 
audit subsystem. So basically, the flaw, the issue was that Apple was trying to provide reporting when a new socket or network event occurred. And they were doing this in the kernel where their audit code uh, lay or audit code was implemented. And in a nutshell, they had made some assumptions about the size of a socket, whereas that assumption didn't hold true. Uh, so socket or sockets, you can kind of think is network abstractions or network events. And generally, sure, they're of size 10, but you can have certain sockets that are, say, size 100. And what they were doing is they were basically making a copy of a socket object into a static buffer. And you can think of a buffer like a bucket. And the problem is when the item you're copying, if it's bigger than what you're copying it into, so if the item, again, with the bucket analogy is bigger than the bucket you're copying it into, it will overflow. And that provides an avenue for actually exploitation. Um, if it's just a blind copy, it's going to corrupt the system and cause a crash. That's a great description of the buffer overflow, which is what we see very often ah, described in security exactly. vulnerabilities. So the, the buffer overflow is kind of the, you know, if you're a security researcher and you trigger buffer overflow, you're, you get very excited because it provides <laughs> you a way to, uh, you know, gain code execution. And so that was exactly the reality of, of this vulnerability where, you know, I put on my black hat, my hacker hat and said, OK, now I, I have this flaw and I was able to overflow this this bucket, this buffer in a very tactical way and gain code execution in the context of the kernel or the brain of the system. Again, from user mode, from my, you know, silly little application that was supposed to be, you know, running in its little sandbox in the corner. Uh, I was able to really now escalate privileges. So, you know, the exploitation of this bug was kind of neat. The vulnerability itself was, you know, intriguing to me as a security researcher. But again, it really kind of didn't sit well with that. The way this bug was triggered was me simply writing a code to talk to the audit subsystem. I, you know, it's it's neat. And yes, I got credit for um, the bug. They actually claimed that, this was found inside Apple as well, randomly, which I don't really buy. Um, they did patch this silently in a in a security update that they pushed out um, with a you know dot update, uh, but they never actually assigned a CVE to a vulnerability because they said they uncovered this uh, internally at the same same time. Again, as I mentioned, I'm not really sure I buy this because this bug had been in Mac OS for eons, day, you know, years. Um, and so it seemed very coincidental that, you know, the week I reported it, that they found it too. But, you know, who knows, maybe maybe they had. Um, but the main takeaway was not, again, the bug or how Apple patched it, but really that, you know, me writing a, a tool essentially triggered this, this kernel flaw, which is a very problematic bug. So again, this kind of, to me, shows the quality of code, perhaps in in Mac OS and iOS, that there's these large swaths of code that apparently have never been audited. And you often don't need an advanced fuzzer to find these if you're essentially just talking to the API with from a legitimate code, you can actually 
trigger the flaw. That's one of the things that I find most interesting is when developers, sometimes even not necessarily security-minded developers, come across some major security vulnerability just because they're writing some code and then something goes wrong. And it turns out it's not in their code. It's actually in the operating system. It is a little bit scary um, how often something like that happens. And of course, it's not just Mac OS and, and iOS that have these problems every operating system does but right. uh you know we tend to think of Macs as being like these secure platforms and the reality is um although they may theoretically in some ways be more secure than than Windows honestly at, at this point I've made the argument in the past that Microsoft has done a lot of catching up since like the Windows 98 days you know when like everything crashed everything and there, it, you know adware and malware was just rampant uh, in Windows. And Microsoft has made a lot of changes um, in in recent years that, you know, some could actually even make the case that Windows is theoretically, in some ways, at least more secure than, than Mac OS. So um, it, it, you know, that that's one opinion, and I'm still going to be using a Mac as, as as long as Macs are available. So, Well, one of the things is there's just so much code in these operating systems, and every year they get bigger and bigger. Was it a couple of years ago, a download of macOS was 6 gigabytes? The, the latest betas were about 13 gigabytes. And I think even the, the Big Sur installer was that big. So there's so much code, and so much of that is old code, and they're spending all their resources on the new stuff, and they don't have time to go back to the old stuff. What would it take, like a decade? If they were to freeze everything, it would take like a decade to fix all the bugs that are in uh, the operating systems. Well, yeah. Yeah, Josh, I like that you brought up uh, Microsoft and, and, and Kirk that point, too, um, in a lot of legacy code. What, what Microsoft actually did is they essentially went out and hired a bunch of these these hacker groups that were you know eating Microsoft to the lunch and said – all right, y'all have definitely a propensity for finding bugs. Clearly, we're trying to do better, but, you know, there's a lot of issues here. Hey, you know, come help us. And, you know, there's this kind of like uh, this alliance, let's say, where Microsoft said, we'll give you buckets of cash. And the hackers were like, cool, awesome, and, and really worked closely then with Microsoft to uncover and patch a lot of these bugs. And, you know, Josh, I actually have to agree with you as blasphemous as it, as it sounds <laughs> in terms of security. I really believe that at least when we're talking about desktop operating systems, Microsoft has Eclipse um, Mac. And I think it's just they have taken such an aggressive approach towards security and hired external entities, have their own security conference, have a very mature and well-received bug bounty program, and, you know, really engaged external researchers and hackers to, to, you know, this is Microsoft we're talking about. And I think the results, uh, you know, have shown, uh, you know, if I, again, put on my black black hat hacker hat and, you know, say I'm going to hack a a company, I'm going after the Mac users, not the Windows users. First and foremost, (laughs) I would argue Mac is not as secure as Windows. And also thanks to Apple marketing, the Mac users believe they're more secure. So a lot of times we see Mac users that are overconfident and perhaps aren't as as careful opening links and downloading files and you know yes there are the, the responsibility ultimately lies at the feet of the users but we have apple marketing who have for years and years basically say macs don't get viruses and macs are, are vulnerable and a lot of users unfortunately believe that and there is a real downside to that is 
and, and that is this overconfidence as they you know bounce around in, in cyberspace and not as, as cautious or careful as, as they should be. And I think Apple does have some responsibility to uh, address that. Okay, Patrick Wardle, thank you for joining us. Patrick's website, by the way, is objective-cse.com. And you can also uh, go to his conference website, which is, which is objective-by-the-c-s-e-a.com. Did I get that right, Patrick? You did, and thank you for the shout-out. Uh, the tools and research on Objective-C are all free and open source. And the conference Josh mentioned is our macOS and iOS security conference. We're going to be doing it in person later this year and also live streaming it if you can't attend in, in person. And we're actually super stoked to have Josh presenting. Um, I mean, lucky us. Josh has presented in the past, always does an incredible job. So um, we're really excited to, to, to host the conference and have Josh uh, be involved. So really excited definitely uh check out objectivebythec.com and objective-c.com and again thank you so much for having me on thank you thanks for listening to the indigo mac podcast the voice of mac security with your hosts kirk McElhern and josh long to get every weekly episode be sure to follow us in apple podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app and if you can leave a rating a like or a review Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.